Good morning, everyone. I'm Becky, if we haven't met before. And um, it's my privilege this morning to be speaking to you the fourth in our series on restoration. So far, we've, uh, this is when the Israelites have come back from exile, settled back in Jerusalem, trying to rebuild um, the temple and the walls and all of that. And so far, we've looked at opposition, we looked at encouragement. Last week we had courage with, um, well, with, with Abby, I was going to say with Esther. Abby talking to us about Esther. And today we come to the topic of the spirit, which is um, good fun. Now, I did a talk in this series a couple of weeks ago, but I did it in the 6.30 service, and that was when we were looking at Haggai. Now, Zechariah and Haggai, two of our Old Testament prophets, they were contemporaries. They were both alive during this period. They were both sent by God to speak to the Israelites about what they were doing. They had similar messages, but they were very different characters. Haggai, his words came, they were super straightforward. It's like, this is what God says, boom. But Zechariah, as you can just see from our reading, is, um, is weird and wonderful. So I'd like you to keep that reading open there on page 951 and 2. Now, I really enjoy reading Zechariah. It's full of fascinating, bizarre images and insights. And if you're interested, and even if you're not, I recommend that you take a look at this website, thebibleproject.com. It's brilliant. Some really, really clever guy has um, gone through every book in the Bible, and he's written, like drawn, he draws it and explains it. So it's really fun to watch, because you're watching this unfolding um, illustration of the book, and he talks you through it all. So the ones on the, um, the Restoration, the ones on Ezra, on Haggai, and um, Zechariah, the, the topics we've been looking at, it really helps you give the background, you get more insight into it, so I really recommend that to you, because we only have so much time on a Sunday with you. Um, but going back to Zechariah, this morning, we here now are focusing on chapter 4, which was read for us. Now, one of the things that I enjoy about Zechariah are these interactions we have between the angel who acts as Zechariah's guide and Zechariah. And if you read the whole book, you will see the, act the angel actually does a lot of talking. He has to unpack for Zechariah all the time what he's seeing so Zechariah can understand. But in this chapter, it's like the angel thought he was going to have a bit of a break, I think. He thought all he had to do was go wake the human and say, hey, Zachariah, what do you see? And his job was done. But no, that's not how it worked out. We see in, twice in this passage that the angel is actually surprised. He's surprised that Zachariah doesn't immediately understand what he's seeing. But Zachariah needed context. Zachariah needed explanation. And I have to say, if I were shown this. If I were shown a solid gold lampstand with the bowl at the top and seven lights, and you've got these eyes as well, with seven channels to the lights, also two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on the left, with two gold pipes that pour out golden oil, I think I would also say, hey, what, what's that about? Um, and this is just one artist's concept of it. If you look it up, you will see many people trying to draw what is described here. I liked this one. Um, now, because Zachariah, like me, he doesn't immediately get what it is he's seeing, the angel has to explain to him, and he has to say, this is the word of the Lord. And I find it really interesting that this picture, the image that Zachariah is seeing, is the word. And we know as we look at things about how God speaks, and God still speaks today, he often does speak in pictures. And here the angel then has to articulate for Zechariah what this picture means. 
And he says, it means, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And he goes on. Now, the people of God had the huge undertaking of restoring Jerusalem, most importantly, the temple ahead of them. And this picture to one of their prophets is telling them, it won't be done by might or power, it will only be done by God's spirit. And the angel carries on saying, what are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. You have to have the capstone to build the building. In other words, the opposition may look as imposing and as immovable as a mountain, but this picture is saying it doesn't stand a chance against Zerubbabel, who is God's chosen leader. And then after what's obvious about the scene to the angels explained to Zechariah, it's then in verse 8 that Zechariah says the word of the Lord came to him, in actual words this time, rather than an image. And this is what came to him. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. In verse 10, who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. So... I mean, seven eyes, you know, it's weird, isn't it? Come on, let's face it, it's a bit weird. The seven eyes that range throughout the world. But that's just his way of saying that God is everywhere. He's seeing everything. Um, And who despises the day of these small things? So, thinking about Zerubbabel, um, when the chosen capstone is in his hand, um, the earth will rejoice. Now, we know from Ezra, the book of Ezra, and the book of Haggai, that there were those who'd come back to help with the restoration, who were actually grieving. They were sad about how much smaller the new temple foundations were compared to the previous temple that had been built by Solomon. But God, through this rhetorical question of who dares despise the day of small things, is showing that he doesn't agree with that. He's making it clear that he's not bothered by the size, and he's very much in the building of this new temple. In fact, it's not anyone's might or power, but it's his spirit that's going to make it happen. And then going on through the reading, we move on to the two olive trees on on either side of the lampstand. And Zechariah has to ask the angel twice about their significance before the angel will answer. I think that's really interesting. Twice he has to say, what's this about? First time the angel sort of ignores him. And then he asks again. And the angel basically responds by saying, well, isn't it obvious? And Zechariah says, no, it's not obvious. Um, So he's told by our long-suffering angel, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. Now, again, we know from Ezra and Haggai that these two refer to Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, who was the high priest. Now, God's spirit is the most significant and vital thing, but the people he's called to work through also matter. God chooses to do his work through people, and at this point in history, he chosen Zerubbabel, the governor, and Joshua, the high priest, and they represented the civil and the priestly roles. And it's a beautiful foreshadowing of Jesus, actually, because Jesus will come and he will combine the two roles in himself because he comes as king, which is the highest civic authority, and he comes as high priest. Now, having looked um, at the passage with that overview, I just want to think briefly about two of those verses. If you can go back to the other one, Jaden. The first, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Now, this is... Uh, If you've been in church for a while and if you've been in charismatic circles where we believe in the gifts of the Spirit, you will be familiar with this verse. It is a favorite of ours. Um, So we can be very familiar with it. And, you know, when you become familiar with something, it can lose its sort of impact. And I think I hear that verse 
And I read that verse, and I think, yeah, it's true, but I don't actually really, really think about it deeply, if you know what I mean. But when you have the responsibility of talking about it to other people, it forces you to think about it in a bit more depth. And that's what's happened to me as I was preparing this talk. I started thinking, yes, I get it. It's all about God's spirit. Good. But what is the might and what is the power it's not going to happen by? What does that mean? And I concluded that might and power are simply the normal way we get things done as human beings. Might means strength, it means what you can do physically, and power means strength as well. But also, you know, power means authority, it means dominance, it means control. And that, the way we experience things being accomplished in this world, um, especially on a national scale, is through this, through might and power. It's through strength, and it's through authority, if you're privileged enough to live in a democratic country as we do, or it's through strength and pure dominance, if you live in more of a dictatorship. But God has always wanted his people to show a different way of doing things. He's always wanted his people to demonstrate who he is by their lives lived differently as they obey his commands and to demonstrate who he is through their dependence on him. That's been the same since he called Abraham. Um, and it's the same call on us today as Christians. We're to demonstrate who God is through how we live our lives and how we depend on him. And I personally wouldn't say it's an easy call, but it is one I believe that we continually grow in. Now, unlike the Jews returning from exile, who had to really just rely on the law and the prophets to help them understand and to get it right, we are very privileged to have the example of Jesus to follow. When Jesus left the glory of heaven and became one of us, he showed us a life of a human lived fully in the fullness of God's spirit. And because of that, the normal rules didn't apply to him. Not only was he able to heal with a touch or a word, not only did the powers of hell run from him, he could also multiply provision, he could command the wind and the waves, he could even walk on water. And he didn't do any of that through simple, physical, human strength or through worldly authority. It was all done by submitting himself to his heavenly father, who in turn sent his spirit, which rested on Jesus at his baptism and stayed with him through his earthly ministry. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And this was a really important verse for us when we were doing um, the building project here. What may have looked foolish and did look foolish to others, setting off on a three million pound building project, which we know ended up costing five million, that would be funded almost solely on donations in a recession, was not, it didn't make sense to people. However, when God calls, he provides. And as we obey and we depend on him, he makes the seemingly impossible possible. And this applies not just to a, um, building a magnificent temple, as they did two and a half thousand years ago in our reading, or a five million pound building project done in Woodford that was completed seven years ago, but also to the church plant that Sam and Anna are leading from here to Barking Riverside. And the vision God has given them for that place will not be accomplished by their physical might or their authority, their power, but it will be accomplished by his spirit as they follow and they depend on him. And we need to support and pray for them as they continue on this journey of faith that God's called them to. Which leads me quickly to the second verse I want to think about, which is, who, who dares despise the day of small things? 
Now, human nature has a tendency to place more value on anything which appears successful, and we usually equate success with size. The bigger, the better. But God sees things from a different perspective. He understands the potential of the small, which we often overlook. Just take the mustard seed as an example, which Jesus told his followers that if they only had faith the size of a mustard seed, which was the smallest seed they knew of at the time, they could move a mountain. Small trumps big in God's economy. Jesus also talked about the kingdom of heaven being like yeast mixed through 60 pounds of flour until worked all through the dough. Now, 60 pounds is a lot of flour. It's like over four stones worth. But it would only take a small amount of yeast to influence it and to make the making of bread possible. And that's like the effect that one person can have. I saw this illustrated by a friend of mine named Matt Coombs. We were in a group one day, and he was teaching. And just before we were going to have a break, he said, um, let's all just, you know, be nice and share the peace together. Let's shake hands. Peace of the Lord be with you, etc." Um, so, yeah, that's a nice thing to do. Let's do that. But what we didn't know was that as he started it, he turned around secretly and sprayed aftershave on his hands. Um, we didn't know he did that. And then he's like, let's share the peace. So I did think it was funny he didn't say we could hug. But, you know, we had to shake hands. Anyway, so it would have ruined his illustration if we'd all hug. Um, But we shook hands. We went round and did all of that. Um, And when we'd finished, we all came back to our places. And he said, right, now I want everyone to smell their right hands. And I was like, gross, no thank you. I've just shaken all these sweaty hands. I really don't want to have, I mean, I was really reluctant. And you could see other people like, really smell my hands? No, thank you. Um, but then, um, I, as you got it closer, you think, oh, actually, wow, that smells really nice. Um, and then we're like, oh, so surprised. And he's like, got you. So um, he had sprayed his hand. And he didn't even have to shake everyone's hand because the first people he shook passed it on um, as well. So I thought that was a brilliant illustration of the influence that one person can have on a room full of people. Um, And it's a great picture to help us remember the importance and the influence that we can carry um, as we carry the fragrance of Jesus with us. You will remember, if you were here, he's impossible to forget, Alf Cooper, who was here, um, his enthusiasm, but he often talks about the perfume factory, which he means, by which he means spending time in God's presence, not being rushed, doing other things, but just spending time in his presence, receiving from him, hearing him, giving yourself to him, and that influences who you are, and it makes you, and it shapes you, and it makes you a nicer person, a more fragrant person to be around. And the point is, what we carry, who we are, will rub off on others. And the good news is that if we start to smell more stale than fragrant, which does happen, we simply need to return to the perfume factory, to spend time in God's word, in his presence, letting his spirit clean us, restore us, inspire us, making us fragrant again. And we know that whatever role we play in God's kingdom, he will equip us for it, as he did with those returning to build the temple. And he will bless us with his spirit as we lean and depend on him, which is his life and his light.